welcome to the Angry Sun Zone. I'm Sean. I'm Alex. And I'm Santo. And today, we've got quite the show lined up where we barely know what we're going to talk about. So let's just get into it, I suppose. (laughs) Um, Angry Sun Zone. Unscripted. (laughs) Untethered and unplugged. The acoustic version. <laughs> um, well, we played a little bit more War Groove. Uh, yeah. Me and Alex. We, we actually ended up playing uh, against each uh, other. A few, yeah, played a few multiplayer rounds. Went pretty well for one of us. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for me, I ended up playing uh, The Last Spell, that game that I was talking about last time. Uh, I'll be talking a little bit about my experience of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, later in the episode, I have a, a little presentation. I'm gonna talk about uh, the difference between difficulty and challenge. So that should be a should be a fun one. All right, so let's get started um, with Wargroove. Yeah, Wargroove. Yeah, so uh, yeah, uh, it was very funny actually because none of the rounds went quite the way we were expecting them to yeah <laughs> uh wow yeah one of our one of our matches uh, it was actually a three-player match with another friend of ours uh who you might know who goes by the name maximus on his youtube channel what's that uh, name again maximus nice yeah he's he's, he's been doing uh youtube content for a good like six months now I uh, did a bunch of really good Hades guides, uh, and currently plays through Subnautica Below Zero, so friend of the channel, check him out, at Maximus on YouTube. But yeah. um, he he hadn't been playing the game, uh, he wasn't that far in the game, so he he made a YOLO move that did not work out well for him. Yeah, he, he, he threw his commander out right into uh, <laughs> completely exposed territory in front of my... Um, entire army. Up to this point, I was getting crushed. He, 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 yeah, we were on a three-player map where Matt had the top and had a better starting position, and me and Alex were on the sides. This wasn't a team map or anything, but it just, like, naturally went into a little bit of a 2v1 at first. But the problem is, is that Matt put all of his resources against Alex. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was getting, I was getting crushed because my economy was smaller than his and then he thought that his commander at full health basically could just walk out in front and i surrounded it on all four sides and with a ranged archer and took it out from full health in one turn then he was out of the game yeah and so the problem of that was you know because Alex had already been kind of beaten down, it took him a lot of resources to end up killing that commander. I just kind of had the run of the place and was able to amass like a pretty damn good economy and just like threw bombers at you. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, amusingly, I almost, I almost, you got almost you got me because you did the same thing of throwing your commander out in front. It, it was a much safer move because I couldn't surround your commander, but I did get it down to 2 HP, and I had an aerial unit, a, uh, a witch... Waiting you know, in the wings. Waiting in the wings, so to speak. Uh, yeah, harpy unit. Um, 
which was not able to be attacked. Unfortunately, his commander had a special ability charged up to uh, surround <laughs> himself with vines as protection, which completely ended my plan. I almost won by toasting, Cheese. by uh, yeah, by cheesing cheesing two commanders to death very quickly. Uh, <laughs> but I lost that one. And then we played we played a match on. Everybody's favorite Advance Wars map, Span Island. Oh, snap. Yeah, that was a complete mess. Yeah, it turns out Advance Wars maps do not port to Wargroove. They really do. At least not, especially not that especially one, because it's so damn Span small Island, and yeah. crowded. And two of the, two of my, two of my factory, or not factories, uh, two of my barracks didn't even work. Yeah, like, they, they were locked in. They literally can't produce units because you can't put units on buildings. Yeah, wow. and, and that that one was decided by weather effects. Yep. <laughs> decided by the weather, because in Wargroove, the um, there's severe weather and then there's favorable winds. And for the purposes of this match, favorable winds gives an extra range to ground units, whereas the rain uh, gives one less range. So Alex moved one of his trebuchets into range of one of my trebuchets that it wasn't in range at the time because it was raining but when it came to my turn it stopped raining so I nuked it <laughs> yeah I made some mistakes based on how the weather effects work wasn't quite used to them yeah and then the the third match we had third... Was, was frustrating for both of us at different parts <laughs> because yeah. of these god okay it was a really cool map actually uh, where there were like three different fronts, where there was the front on the right, which was naval, the middle, which had these two bridges, and then the left, which w was where the commanders and the strongholds start out. And remember, in more group, if you kill the commander or the stronghold of your opponent, that's how you win. And there were flagstones in between here. Now, flagstones is not a terrain type that I had seen before this map. And you'd think, you know flat, stony area that certain types of units can move through it. Namely, ones with wheels. <laughs> that was not the case. Holy shit. So I built a trebuchet hoping to just, like, push Alex down there really effectively. Like, I, I didn't build anything on one of my early turns just to make a trebuchet early, and it couldn't even move down there, so I couldn't, like, just cheese him with that. So... No cheese allowed. <laughs> so Alex was decimating me on the other two fronts, but that left front where all the victory conditions was, I put all of my effort there yeah. and eventually broke through. Yeah, basically, you would, you'd pretty much given up the rest of the map. I, I was in control of the entire naval arena. I had the center completely. Yeah. I was basically ready to just close in. Yeah. And, and you, you had double my economy Yeah, and, at the end there. And unfortunately... What happened was I had been, I had basically just been cheesing out the choke point between the HQs with the flagstone with uh, some just infantry, the spearmen and soldiers. <laughs> and unfortunately, at, at one point, I just, I finally, you finally broke through my meat shields which were just stalling you out. Yeah. Caesar's a very good boy. Caesar inspired very, my troops to very, move again very, and very good breakthrough. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, and then at that point, 
unfortunately, you just had too many things behind my lines that I could not block you from destroying my HQ. Even though I had just built a... Uh, a golem. I had just built a big giant to actually defend... Whatever. Yeah, Revenant to defend that area, and it was too late. If I had built him like a turn sooner, maybe I would have been okay, but mm-hmm. I was too focused on... Yeah, you, I, I assumed... You... you, I, you, you, you you made the mistake of trying to counter my two like cavalry push with put with just pikemen, and I was just kind of eating those up with my commander and the like the mages that I brought. Yeah, I, I should have put more resources into defending the HQ with like a like an archer or a trebuchet or something. Can you guys play this? I'm I'm sold. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm down for next time. You know, it's weird. Like last week, I kind of lamented how the different commanders like would play out in a game where I thought that okay they have these special abilities and that's what differentiates them but I wasn't you know sold on how effectively those would be used in the matches to create a unique experience but both of the games where we had access to our commanders that we played multiplayer I only won because of their grooves yeah so Maybe I wasn't giving uh, this design choice enough credit to where it actually, you know, did end up making all the difference. Yeah, yeah, actually, it's a good point, because in the one map, the defensive ability of the tree guy that I can't remember. Greenfinger. Green, Greenfinger, yeah, he... he what is this defensive ability? That's, oh, I'm curious. Uh, you would love him. You would absolutely adore him. Okay, so basically, you get to when you when you trigger his ability, you get to place I think five vines anywhere nearby him, like within a certain radius. It's like three or three, I think three. It's radius. like I think it's four. four. It's pretty far. Yeah, it's away. pretty wide actually, and they can't attack or anything like that, but they just take up space and are impassable. Now, you can create some really frustrating... Um, Mazes? Ma- yeah, you can, like, make... Basically, it, it basically creates area denial <coughs> that totally shuts it down. Like, that totally shuts down the area. And the thing is that you can also move them every turn that they're still alive. <coughs> yeah. What? O- only, like, you can move them two tiles, and they do deteriorate over time. Yeah, but... It's really powerful. Um, I really like his ability. Uh, it's very strong defensively, uh, and it can also be used offensively to yeah. create cover, essentially, for a push. In the one, um, or even in the one uh, campaign mission, you use Greenfigure, and I use those vines to trap the enemy commander, make it so they, they couldn't retreat, I so did I could the same, press the attack. Yeah, I did the same thing. You can trap a commander with it, and basically, that can win you the game. Mm-hmm. Sounds uh, dope. Yeah, and then Caesar the dog that won you the other game. He makes the four units up to four units around him get another turn. Yeah, basically, so. which depending on the details can be very strong because that could be a game-winning move mm-hmm. if you use him right, uh, or just to break through an entrenched position or something like that. Yes, uh, I was pretty. Di- I actually was pretty disappointed with Valder because although. I was using Valder, and he summons skeleton soldiers. Um, his ability charges really fast, and you can clog up the whole <clears> map <throat> with skeletons, basically. Uh, especially if he's in combat. But, I don't know, it seemed like he wasn't working out as well for me as I had hoped. 
Uh, yeah, so, so that's, that's multiplayer wargroove. Yeah, multiplayer that wargroove. Cool. Pretty good. We might uh, we might make some uh, YouTube content of, of some matches at some point. Yeah, because there was definitely some trash talk. It was it was a fun time. Yeah, no, it was good. As for me, I've been uh, playing the last spell, and that is a turn-based roguelike. Uh, and so the concept is, um, it's turn-based roguelike zombie survival game, where uh, you are uh, the defenders of a city, and specifically there's uh, there's a bunch of wizards performing a powerful spell around a well. <laughs> You've got to defend them. Um, and, uh, so you're defending them so, against... So every, every match is VIP defense. <laughs> yes. Every match is VIP defense. The last three, uh, the last three defenders, um, it's got your typical, uh, fantasy architecture of you've got your fighter, your mage, and your, uh, and your rogue character, and uh, the three of them combined get, uh, because it's a roguelike random gear to start with and a random set of attributes, uh, something like uh, they can be a smoker and be crappy at running. <laughs> they might be... Uh... You, know, you know what's funny, actually, is just thinking about it? There aren't a lot of property, like games or media or whatever, where you have the crossover of fantasy and zombie. Typically, the zombie apocalypse is set in a vaguely modern-ish time period that's true yeah i mean like if in a lot of fantasy games you fight zombies but they're just there it's not an apocalypse well, they're not zombies they're undead you know necromancy yes zombies you know what they were originally were they're not they're not infected and uh well they, they really take the old school zombies trope to the max because these zombies are only active at night uh, there's actually a day-night cycle, which is something that I really liked about it. So the nighttime is the, the tactical time when you're actually doing your fighting against these zombies. And so there's th- uh, two ways t- to lose. Is that either you're going to uh, um, you're going to have all three of your characters killed, uh, or you're uh, going to let them critically dis- damage and disrupt the uh, the spell that is going on in the center of the town that you guys are trying to cast in order to end this nightmarish, hellish scenario. Uh, but at the end of the day, once you're done clearing all the zombies, the round is over and you get rewards and it goes to the strategic layer, which is this cool uh, base building concept where this, the ruined city that you're defending, uh, you can pillage its remains for things to use and money. Uh, you can buy equipment for your uh, for your tactical soldiers at the at the inn. You can uh, there's a there's a worker placement and uh, and uh, um, and base defense placement uh, mechanics going on. It's pretty fun. Um, and then even the other thing that I really liked is when you level them up, uh, you get a list of attributes, random attributes, uh, and uh, even different types of bonuses you can get a common uh bonus all the way uh through uncommon to rare um and those are the selections of 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 how your character is going to level up that way and so if you don't like the spread if none of the options are going to build your character the way that you want him to you can actually get up to two re-rolls for him or her to be able to uh pick different attributes and try and uh get your character to evolve more in the way that you're hoping for them to 
And so, uh, yeah, the combat's pretty deep. Um, it's interesting that every single weapon, whether it's a wand, uh, ranged like a like a bow and arrow or a crossbow or a sword or warhammer or whatever, they all come with different abilities and different bonuses. And there's so much depth to the combat that uh, I, I've only just gotten the first hang of it. And I can tell that having a deep level of understanding of the combat and mastering all the little mechanics they throw in there is necessary for you to actually progress in the game because it's very difficult. I died mm. by about wave four yeah. uh, the first time that I played. <laughs> Sounds like a roguelike. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's pretty fun. It's in alpha, uh, oh, which okay. means... Uh, now, there is a lot of content enough that I would say that it's fun to play, um, and uh, it's definitely one to keep an eye on. If you like your games more finished and out of the oven, uh, yeah, I mean, you could wait, but I would definitely say that... Uh, from the gameplay that I played, I'm going to be playing plenty more of it. And I'm interested to see how they're going to tweak and evolve things. Yeah. So, Put it on your wish list now. Yeah. So, um, I think last week you mentioned that this was made by uh, Clay Entertainment. Uh, they, they also made Invisible Ink, which I know you've uh, played. And uh, How do you feel they compare? Because they, they, they sound almost similar, like, you know, tactical, roguelike, kind of games they, uh, they definitely have some similarities for sure I'm actually just confirming this you know what they do I am actually <laughs> I think Clay also makes Don't Starve you know what if I recall I will I will correct myself on air I got my wires crossed uh, Clay actually is developing another game that I had my eyes on um, oh okay called Griftlands and all you need to do is see the art style to immediately know that it's definitely the same company that makes those two um, but uh, the last spell their developers is Ishtar Games oh okay um, and uh, they're relatively new to me I uh, yeah, I'd watched a series of trailers, one after the other, <laughs> and clearly it was Grifflands and then uh, The Last Spell, where I got those probably, two mixed up. Yeah, but, uh, one of those just, like, press conference, like, five indie games in a row trailer But uh, <laughs> I love doing. One of the one of one of the greatest moments from that game actually was just uh, me and Matsumis were, were both playing, uh, we, we weren't playing any sort of co-op. But we were each playing the game, and the one thing was that we just kept on laughing to the sounds of the zombies dying. The sounds that they make when they die is actually really funny. So you're, you're just having this serious tense moment, like, populated with these uh, funny, like, Wilhelmish death screams coming from the zombies, and it just, it, it's, it's, it's great. It's a very, uh, very good uh, juxtaposition of two highly different uh, themes in the game. Yeah. Actually, it's kind of interesting. It reminds me of another game that uh, is currently in development that I'm uh, sort of following a little bit, some of the developments. It's called Tactical Breach Wizards. Uh, the theme, <laughs> That's a great title. The theme, like the, the, the theme of the game is basically like, okay, well, if you took a turn-based strategy game, like sort of XCOM-ish, uh, and then, but like, what if it also had magic? <laughs> And, uh, and then, so you're like, you're like a SWAT team of wizards, basically. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of the gameplay footage I've seen looks super cool. Uh, it's interesting, actually, the developer, I, I was just checking the developer, and it's Suspicious Developments. They also made uh, a couple other games I've, I've played, a Heat Signature, Floating Point, mm. 
gunpoint. Heat Signature is kind of a cool game, Sean. I think you have played yes, a lot I more have. than I have. Um, Gunpoint's a cool stealth. Uh, Gunpoint looked really cool. Gunpoint's really cool. When I, when I looked at it, I highly recommend Gunpoint. It's a short mm-hmm. game. Yeah. Uh, Gunpoint's great. Uh, very nice, like kind of stealth platform. Not platformer, but it's 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 a side scrolling stealth game. Yeah. Um, but yeah, t- uh, Tactical Breach Wizard looks looks cool, and uh, yeah, it's funny. They have a very funny. Uh, uh, the description on Steam, I love this because it, it's it's a bit trying to be more like uh, like you're like a SWAT team kind of thing, right? And mm-hmm. you're like dealing with criminals, and so it's like, yeah. Devs describe the game as having a stylized look, but people sure do get shot, stabbed, slammed into walls, smashed through windows, turned into crap, and turned into crabs, etc. <laughs> There's blood, necromancy, drugs both real and magical, and one spell that involves something like euthanasia. Substance abuse may be a theme, but the substance is mana potions. They don't know whether that makes it better or worse. Uh, that's fun. Yeah, you can... Uh, you can see, yeah, it's 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 cool actually. I, I think we were uh, talking a little earlier about just like some upcoming uh, strategy type turn-based strategy games, and this mm-hmm. this is one that's on my radar. Um, yeah, I, I also like that they're planning to have a story-based campaign as opposed to a, a sort of more of a roguelike or a permadeath game, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's. That's something that I think in a turn-based strategy, I actually prefer. Um, something more like a Fire Emblem game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I prefer that over something like, say, Into the Breach. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, Into the Breach, the single player just had very little replayability for me. Um, it's, it's the same thing for me, which is so weird considering that game structure of it being a roguelike and having all those different robots. Like, I just didn't want to play it more than like two times two two three times it was too samey yeah yeah and so i think the roguelike structure just doesn't seem to work that well for turn-based strategy like the 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 length of the game needs to be such that you have a meaningful progression from beginning to end that was my problem with into the breach it's just that i didn't feel like the start of my run was all that different from the end of my run. Yeah. Whereas yeah, something like there's... something like XCOM, which isn't isn't a roguelike, but it is, you know, procedurally generated. It's uh, not a roguelike, but we were joking actually recently that it's 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 totally the best roguelike. <laughs> wow, it's, it's one of the yeah. top top five top yeah. five roguelikes to play right now. Yeah. But like whereas XCOM is like, you know when you start the run versus the end of the of the run is completely different. There's a, such a meaningful progression throughout the entire yeah. game that, you know, that weirdly lent itself to more replayability. I've definitely I played that game What's, as I've replayed that game as the original XCOM as many times as I've replayed Into the Breach. When one of them is you know a thirty to forty hour campaign as opposed to a one hour campaign. Yeah. So I think I think yeah. It's it's all about. Uh, not just there being kind of a different end state, but there being many different end states that your uh, character or team can end up in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think about something like another roguelike game we've played a lot of, Risk of Rain 2. Yeah. Or 1. Risk of Rain 1 and 2 are both roguelikes. One's more of a 
action platformer, one's a 3D shooter. But uh, fundamentally, the thing that keeps it interesting and so so viable to replay is that there are so many different ways your character can become uh, like interestingly strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it partly depends on which character you're playing, which items you get, what kind of build you end up using. Yeah. And that's what adds replayability in yeah, roguelike. That, that combined with all the different challenges to unlock all the different stuff. Yeah. Like. Or in something like FTL, where you, you kit out your ship with different uh, different pieces of tech, and then it totally it changes the way you're playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's different ships as well. Damn it, Sean. <laughs> the fuck are you looking at? Just trying to connect to the TV. Oh, save that for later, yeah. man. Sorry about that. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Our, uh, our production studio here is in a bit of a development hell situation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we moved we moved from Sean's basement to Sean's other basement, but his other basement is a, like, semi-professional music studio recording setup. <laughs> yep. Just, yeah. Um, fiddling with the TV that won't change inputs. <laughs> it's a very stubborn piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, anyway... <laughs> Yeah, that's some that's some turn based tactical roguelikey action. That sounds that sounds cool. Um, how how uh, long do you think the game is? Because you said you got to like wave four or whatever. Uh, so I think that it goes to something like twenty five. Oh dear waves. lord. <laughs> um, however, from what I understand, at this stage of the game's development, in order to push further. There's a distinct, like, you, you need to have actually made it through several iterations of the game because after your characters all die, you're actually able to spend some in-game currency in order to uh, upgrade the metagame mm, uh, okay. where you start with new weapons or uh, you unlock new features in town and stuff like that. Right. Cool. Yeah. Any last words on the last spell? I would definitely say that uh, I I think that in terms of how rogues like or, or, or how turn turn based games go, it's it's enough to fully get me back into it, and uh, it's making me also want to play Warbrew now. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling the the turn based game revival is coming back in full swing. Nice. All right. So uh, next order of business. Uh, I'll be talking about difficulty and challenge. Uh, this is adapted from a presentation I gave in my game design course at, at university. And I expect a lot of people are going to have their own thoughts about this and are going to agree or disagree. So, this is, so that's why I label it a sort of kind of an opinion piece. Uh, so difficulty and challenge to me are two are two describers that get interchanged a lot when they shouldn't be. And the main difference between them, I think, is that difficulty is quantitative, whereas challenge can be quantitative and qualitative. For example, something has an amount of difficulty, but but with challenge, you can have a good amount of challenge, or you can just have a good challenge. You can't have a good difficult. That just doesn't work. <laughs> so... I, so it, it bothers me 
a lot when I see these interchanged in ways I don't think they should. I think that the word difficult gets used a lot when people should mean challenge. And I'll get to the most egregious example in a little bit before, but first I want to give a little, you know, example of what I'm talking about and hopefully I'll convince people that I, I know what I'm talking about here. So the example that I want to give to illustrate this concept is a game that hopefully everybody listening to this knows, Minesweeper. Now, <laughs> if you don't know, Minesweeper is a fairly simple puzzle game where you click on tiles to either find uh, mines, which will blow you up, or empty spaces, which will tell you how many mines are next to that space that you clicked on. And Minesweeper is a pretty customizable game in terms of how many mines you can put on a playfield and how big the playfield is. So this can change the amount of difficulty and the challenge level of any individual uh, board. So if you have a board that has very few mines but is a very large board, it's going to be extremely easy to complete. It's not going to give you any challenge at all. There's, no, there's very little points where you're actually going to have to think about what you're doing, so not a great experience. On the flip side, if you have a board that's extremely dense with mines, you're going to end up in situations where you logically cannot parse where the mines are. You're going to have to rely on luck. Now, this is it, therefore, it's extremely difficult to clear these boards. However, I would not call this a good challenge because you're relying on luck. It doesn't actually test your skills. So this, this is a high difficulty, but it's still not a good challenge. And if you have a more balanced board, that's going to give you, you know, decent amount of difficulty. And it's going to challenge you more because you're going to actually have to use the skills that you've learned by playing Minesweeper over and over again to complete this puzzle. But the thing that I think illustrates this at an even higher level is if you go into Crazy Minesweeper. I don't know if anybody here has ever played Minds Perfect, which is a variant of Minesweeper that is it's just the classic Minesweeper with a lot more options built in. And one of the options is that you can change the grid type. For example, you can... Oh, yeah. It has yeah. hex grids, doesn't it? And triangles. Hex, triangles. Yeah, I've played that. Like, the pen, uh, specifically the pentagon grid. If you switch to the pentagon grid... Oh, my. It's... <laughs> you're not going to find any government secrets here, but you are going to find the secret to unlocking what it is I'm talking about. To where... It's going to be a really good challenge for a player who has played regular square tile-based Minesweeper, because you're going to have to, you know, reconsider all the concepts you've learned from playing regular Minesweeper and apply them to this new grid type. So it's a, a really good challenge. But the catch is, the Pentagon grid is easier than the square-based grid, so it's lower difficulty, but better challenge, higher challenge. So hopefully that convinces... You that yeah they are different they should be treated differently and hopefully that's that's a good example now i'm gonna get a lot of hate for what i'm, what I'm gonna say next though because i believe the biggest the biggest uh game that is muddying this is dark souls <laughs> dark souls ha has been a phenomenon so much so that uh Recently, um, there was a trailer for Elden Ring, which is a game that is made by the creative director of Dark Souls, and just like 
just the hint of any info coming about this game like got the internet into a frenzy pretty much and it partially as well the the game is um being written by uh, George R. R. Martin, so that that helps for sure. Wait, he's writing Elden Ring. Yes. Doesn't he still have a book that's left to finish in his actual fantasy I, series? I know nothing about Game of Thrones, so you tell me, man. <laughs> I, I don't know. I thought the last book of Game of Thrones was still being delayed because he hadn't finished it. <laughs> well, that said, he's exactly the kind of writer who would just be keen to drop the project at the end just well, to piss the fans off. Well, well, the TV show wrapped up. There's nothing more to say about Game of Thrones. Oh, uh, and the TV show <laughs> wrapped up in a way that made everyone very... No one was happy with it. That, that's actually, as an aside, that's kind of genius. Because if that was what George R. R. Martin planned for the ends of the book, and... And now because everybody hated it, he can totally change it. <laughs> I don't know if he, that, I, that's wild speculation, but yeah, I mean <laughs> that'd be really funny. If that's think, what that's what his actual final. I is. mean the the I think the main problem a lot of people have with it is is more it, it's a lot of it was just poorly done. Like some of the things that that upset people, like like with with I mean spoilers, but yeah, with Daenerys like burning the city, it, she. Like, that, that's actually not that out of character had they maybe spent more than, like, just a couple of throwaway lines at, um, like, leading up to it. Oh. At, at pretty much all TV shows end poorly. No, but, like, it, it was a dramatically bad shift in, in, in time. No. I mean, there were entire seasons where less happened than happened in, like, a single episode of the last season. <laughs> that, that, that's the drastic change in pace wow. that, that went on. That's, pretty, that's um, pretty funny. And so between the dramatic change in pace, and also there were just some things that were, like, really just loose ends, like the whole, like, White Walker plot line basically just sort of abruptly ended with no resolution, <laughs> including for things that were, like, end-of-season teasers like in the early seasons and they're just like now unanswered questions and so ah uh, yes the J.J. Abrams approach I see why a lot of people were upset uh, why did I watch Lost? <laughs> oh, Lost. <laughs> we could get lost yeah. on that topic yeah, that's yeah. for sure but anyways so getting back to Dark Souls um, Dark Souls really heralded in a new like appreciate appreciation for quote unquote difficult games to where as after dark souls was released like demon souls to some extent but demon souls was definitely a lower profile than when dark souls hit uh the the narrative around all that changed a lot where i saw a after dark souls i saw a lot more discussion online about you know games being over tutorialized and hand holding and for babies <laughs> and so people like put dark souls up on a pedestal for look at this difficult game isn't it amazing and it, part of that is because it's difficult and i would argue yes it is difficult but it doesn't always provide the best challenge because there's a lot of parts in dark souls that are just obscure to the point of, I don't know how you would ever find this out without a wiki open. 
that's one of my bar- that's one of the barometers I have between is a game good versus is a game bad is how much you have to look shit up outside of the game. If you have to look a ton of stuff up outside of the game, then I don't think your game's designed very well. And Dark Souls has a, a fair amount of stuff that is just like you'd never figure out otherwise. As well, a lot of the areas are designed in, in ways to specifically fuck you over. To where you'll just get ganked by some random thing that's hiding in the ceiling. And there's there's a specific part early on with this bridge. Anybody who's played the game will know about this bridge where if you start walking along this bridge, a dragon will fly over, roast the entire bridge, and you will die. Now, how is a player supposed to know that this is going to happen? Well, there are, like, you know, scorch marks on the bridge, but the game's textures aren't exactly, you know... Vivid, pristine pr- and pr- clean. Pr- pristine and clean throughout all of it anyways, so, like, that's just going to look like set dressing to most people. Most people aren't... Pretty much all people aren't going to think anything of it unless they, you know, play Demon Souls, where a somewhat similar thing happens. So, like... Yeah, you that that's a way that, that your character will die, and in a sense, that makes the game more difficult because you have to start over from the bonfire, go all the way back there, and then figure out how far along the bridge you have to run to trigger the dragon before running back. And that's just like it's a difficult <laughs> it's a difficult thing that you have to do. But that's not a good challenge. Yeah. Because <laughs> Yeah, you're not really you're not really you're not testing the player. You're you're just throwing them something that's pretty much guaranteed to kill them. Yeah. Without them having seen it before. Yeah. I reminds me a lot of uh, this is a bit more obscure than Dark Souls, but uh, there's a game called I Want to Be the Guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, for anyone that game is even worse anyone, about that. For stuff. anyone who doesn't know, I Want to Be Be the Guy uh, has a reputation as being one of the most difficult games ever made. Uh, I, I don't know I that believe, it is. You know, it probably coined the phrase Massacore. I don't think I heard of that term before I want to be the guy. Yeah. So like so these are this is a game for people who hate themselves. Yeah. Like it I I'm sure there are some Kaizo Marios that are harder than I want to be the guy simply because there are some insane ones of those. Oh yeah. Um uh, yes, but Kaizo uh, but, uh, Mario, for anyone who doesn't know, is a uh, ROM hacks of Mario games that are typically made to be extremely difficult uh, and in very confusing ways where you wouldn't even know how to beat it except by relentless trial and error. Yeah. Um, there's a YouTube music video inspired by that shit. <laughs> okay, well, there's, there's musical Mario ROM hacks, which are not necessarily difficult as well. Yeah. Um, and then there's also ones that are both musical and difficult. And anyway. Um, but yeah, with I Want to Be the Guy, uh, m- most of the challenges are just, it's a platforming game, but most of the challenges are just bad. Or, or, or like the obstacles. The obstacles are not fun to beat because they come out of nowhere. Yeah, you, you don't see them coming. There's a block, there's and no if you step indication. on the block, spikes will come out, but there's no indication that yeah. spikes are going to come out. And then there. also, that's the yeah. only block that does it, uh, like, in most of the game or something, right? 
So there's just a bunch of there's rant. a lot of spiky blocks in that. There game, are a lot but... of spiky blocks, but there are also lots and lots of just one off, one off, yeah. one off obstacle traps. That they're traps that kill you, and then <laughs> the only way you know they're there is by dying to them repeatedly. And um, now, in contrast, there is another game um, called Super Meat Boy, um, which is also like relatively difficult, but. And in many ways, I would say that I Want to Be the Guy and Super Meat Boy are similar games. They're both um, platformers with sort of a similar style um, of gameplay. But critically, uh, like we were talking about this, Super Meat Boy, although it requires precision platforming, you can see what needs to happen. You can Mm -hmm. see what you need to do to complete the level. Yeah, Um, Super Meat Boy is about... Gaining mastery over the incredible amount of air control and like wall jumping that you have access to as a boy. Yeah. Whereas I want to be a guy is like yeah, you double have to, middle fingers. You have <laughs> to do that like precision platforming at the same time as having a bunch of really really asshole traps thrown your way, mm-hmm. like so. like uh, Prince of Persia on steroids. Again, Prince um, of Persia is fun. If Prince of Persia, okay, you know what? Let, let me illustrate it this way. This is what I see when I'm analyzing this. There's your, your there's your classic conflicts. You know, man versus man. You know, man versus self. That's Super Meat Boy. You know, man versus man. That's uh, you know, or or versus the NPCs. You know, and then there's man versus environment. There's your platformers, and then there's Dark Souls, which is man versus developer because he's really intent on killing you and, and establishing his dominance over you. You know, like Dark Souls feels like the developer is hanging his his fat saggy testicles over you and slapping you in the face of this game, being like, "And you're gonna die." Just like every other guy who's playing this game. And in fact, you can see their corpses and their ghosts. Okay, yeah. okay just thinking of conflict archetypes. Now I'm just thinking, like, okay, what, what is a game that is like man versus player? Like, the character you control is fighting you, the, con- the player who controls the character. There, wasn't there that one driving game? What would that even where, be? Where uh, you actually, you're, you're driving as... Not as the protagonist, but as one of the antagonists who is trying to stop you, and you're seeing from their perspective your vehicle, and you're driving and trying to outrun them. It's really right. Cool. Yeah, actually, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I have not played the game that that sequence was from. That was a, a single sequence in a driving game. I watched was, a YouTube video about yes. it. That was cool, but I mm-hmm. I don't remember which game it was because I hadn't played the game. But it was very interesting because it was sort of an it was sort of an example of second person gaming. Yeah, it might have been Driver San Francisco. That game's very strange. Might have been Uh, because because you're you're like a ghost in that game. Yeah, I think that might have it might have been (laughs) what you're talking about. Sounds about right. Yeah, Yeah. might have been that one. But uh, I guess the other thing that that I'll mention is I think part of the like you know looking at Massocore the concept of that and Dark Souls and what I think people find appealing is that they equate the uh, the pain of this lack of knowledge almost as like a release right because you feel frustrated when you die like that. But the frustration that they experience is like a controlled release of actual frustrations they have in their lives. And I think that that may be what 
what is part of what makes uh, Dark Souls such an addicting game where people are like, oh, yeah, you know what, I'll play it. And, but, but, you know, this entire time you're stressed. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a super intense game. You're, you're barely holding it together. You know, you have no idea what's coming next unless you're staring at the wiki being like, all right, Mr. Developer, I know what you've got in store for me. Like, well, it's, it's a difference between, like, you know, actual skill and overcoming a challenge versus just rote memorization. Like... Yeah. Think, think about uh, think about something like a rhythm game and how would would is a rhythm game fun if you just memorize what's coming when and just bang it out rather than you know sight reading like yeah like so, sometimes like the people that can just like nail these absolutely insane DDR and beat mania stuff like are if they're sight reading that that's incredible. If they're just memorizing note patterns, I that's not that's not actually that impressive to me. But yeah, one thing I'll say about Dark, well, one more thing that I really want to make clear about Dark Souls is that, despite me saying this, I don't say, think it's a badly designed game, because there are parts of the game where the challenge is real and very good. The, I think a lot of the boss fights are very very good in that game. That game has some of the best boss fights um, of anything, and beating those bosses does give, like what you were saying, you know, this frustration of banging your head against this incredibly tough enemy over and over again until you finally are able to beat it in triumph. But with a lot, a lot of the Dark Souls bosses, there's a few that are bullshit, a lot of them that is, you know, testing your skills, figuring out, fi- figuring out patterns for, for bosses, like, it's a little bit of memorization, but you still need the skill to pull it off, dodge at the right time, go in the right places to, you know, actually triumph here. Yeah. So that is a good part of it. But again, some of the some of the decisions where, you know, you walk you walk like there's a corner and if you walk past the corner a skeleton will kick you off the edge of a building. <laughs> or well, <laughs> edge, edge, edge of a cliff. And it's just like, well fuck. And I've seen some people defend this as saying, okay, well it's the game is trying to teach the player to always be ready for anything. Now, sure, but no. <laughs> That's, at least to me, always having to be on your feet with every single little like movement that you do in the game, that's not fun to me. <laughs> and I again, I don't think that's a good challenge either. That's just... <laughs> Busy work. You know yeah. what? So I think, I think, like, to me, another thing that comes into here that I think is a good way of framing it is um, sort of the subjective psychological state you're in as you're completing these, um, as you're overcoming these obstacles. So when it comes to the psychological state, like, I'm talking, like, like, you're talking about, like, basically in Dark Souls... You know, there's people being like, no, you need to be on your toes. Essentially in, a, essentially in an anxious state of being ready for things that you're unprepared for. Hypervigilance. You, yeah, hypervigilant, right? Um, whereas there are other types of challenge where you're not on your toes. You're still focused, though, uh, but you're in a relaxed focus, which is more of a flow state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if anyone's not unfamiliar, um, uh, flow state... It's just uh, what a lot of people, uh, the sports analogies usually talk about it as like being in the zone. Um, 
uh, but it's it's just like you know you're 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 focused, you're paying attention, but you're relaxed because you uh, know what's happening and you are basically fully in control uh, and able to execute uh, your uh, practiced skills. Yeah, you're ready for anything without having to constantly look over your shoulder. Yeah, in, in and in the way that a basketball player um, is, you know, ready to receive a uh, a pass, you know, at, and and be aware of the surroundings because they know what's coming because they've practiced so much. It's not like the basketball player is being ready for like a spike coming out of the ground in front of them. Like there are rules in basketball. They know the rules, they know the plays mm-hmm. and they're responding dynamically uh, to the changing context. Yeah, um, like if, if you've ever seen like one of my favorite plays in basketball is when they bounce the ball off of somebody's back to continue running. Yeah. That's one of the favorites. And you need to have, you know, fantastic core awareness to be able to pull that off. And it's so funny whenever it happens. Yeah. The other guy's always pissed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. so and but and again, like if you're if you're completing a play like that, everything is obvious. Everything is there. And and there's nothing surprising about that other than it's just really hard to do. Um, it's something that anyone in theory could do at any time, and but but it's just hard to pull off, so it doesn't happen mm-hmm. very much. Um, and so that's that's I think to me like sort of what you're getting at. Part of it is that uh, you know having a challenge, ha- having something that's challenging, but it challenges you in a way that puts you in a flow state is I think one of the things that makes uh, video, some video games very fun. Um, I, like I would say, especially it's most obvious, like most obvious I would say in like some shooters or maybe even racing games, driving games, uh, but things where, you know, you do have to have these like, you know, split second reaction times and things like that. Um, maybe even Smash Bros. But, but yeah, fighting, fight, fighting, fighting games, games are, are, fighting are a games big thing sure. about that. Like, you know, there's... So, okay, I heard this story recently about the um, the Evo moment, the Daigo parry in uh, Third Strike. Okay. Where he uh, parries, like, all of Chun-Li's super and then falls up with just, like, this insane combo that finishes off. And when Daigo was at a sliver of health that if he didn't parry a single attack, he was dead because he'd get chipped out or whatever. Yeah, this was the... The, it's, uh, the it's, combo one or no no no, no, no. that, but that, that mumble combo smash but sorry sorry that's smash but yeah it's i i know the video it's like evo about. moment number 37 i think it is yeah it's iconic it's, it's fighting game yeah. history at this point um but there there was actually like because uh chun li's super comes up so fast you actually have to pre-prep the first parry Hmm. So that makes it even more impressive where, you know, just like... Yeah, because he was down to he, a he sliver knew, of health, yeah, which he, was one hit from yeah. death. And, and the opponent was still at full health, basically. And he parried everything and then completely took out yeah. the entire health bar but, in one combo. But it's just like, he knew exactly what he had to do to win that. He just, you know... Had to time it, had to time it right, and then everything else just flowed from there. Like yeah. nothing can stop him once that started. That um, sounds glorious. Yeah, it's it, it's yeah one of the best 
It's, it's the best fighting game. It, clip you know, probably. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, you and might have, and the you crowd have, is so hype. You might have seen the clip and just like yeah. maybe um, not recognize which one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah. So yeah, that's that's difficulty versus challenge, I suppose. Um, we like challenging games, but not games that are arbitrarily difficult because of bullshit developer decisions. That, yeah, <laughs> player that's, versus that, developer. That, yeah, that, that that's basically like. <laughs> The gist of a lot of what I was trying to say. It's like we were playing. I was playing. I was streaming some Donkey Kong Country a while back, and there was this one level where there's a banana, <laughs> and the banana's at the bottom of the stage. There's nothing below it but a but an empty pit. <laughs> now, in most platforming games, why would the developer put a banana right above <laughs> at the bottom of the screen above a pit? Usually, it's because there's a secret there. There was no secret there. <laughs> it was just a banana that tricked you into dying that was it like that's not a that's yeah that's an asshole dev move this reminds me of uh so back in the day i made this game which was a side scrolling uh game where you had to uh fly through an asteroid field mm-hmm. and uh um so you had limited means to defend yourself from these asteroids because if any of them hit you you'd blow up and die uh, one of the cool things is that the game was uh, looping, and so if you went off the left side of the screen, you'd wrap around to the right. However, so did the asteroids. Um, now, what's really interesting is the asteroid behavior. I would plunk down a set number of asteroids in the course, and then if the asteroid passed you and you dodged it, and it got to the end of the screen, as in the beginning of the level, it would wrap around to the front, but it'd be heading faster each time. So the longer levels, the longer you try and take to finish this course because you're being too careful, the faster the asteroids fly at you at the end. And then there was the cheat codes. And if I caught anyone but me using the cheat codes, I had a developer key strokes that I would put in order to unlock the proper cheat codes. And if you put the normal ones in, it would uh, pervert the game against you <laughs> instead of actually giving you the cheats. It was pretty funny. <laughs> So that's that's my little story about developer versus player. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah. So just when when you want to make a challenging game, yeah, okay, don't don't make it arbitrarily difficult. Make it so that just make it so that one of your mechanics changes for a specific portion of time that forces the player to think differently, forces the player to adapt. Like I think that's that's a great way of adding. A good challenge to your game, yeah. Without making it frustrating to all hell. Hell yeah, yeah. All right, so yeah, that wraps up this episode of the Angry Sun Zone. Uh, as always, feel free to contact us at angrysunzone at outlook dot com uh, or at our Twitter at at angry suns at angry sun zone. Yeah. And uh, keep an eye out on our YouTube channel, Angry Sun Zone, because uh, we are finally getting off our ass and we're going to put some video content up there. We got a TV behind us that is ready to go. We're going to MacGyver this shit together. It's going to be awesome. So we're, we're super glad that you're listening in, and uh, soon you'll be able to see us a little, uh, in the flesh. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next time. Watch Matsumus. And our channel soon. <laughs> Dope.
<laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, I have to get in there. Alex, that clap you did gave me tinnitus. <laughs> I have a ring in my ear. That's funny. <laughs> Oh, you heard it here first, folks. I have how to get tinnitus. I have the clap. <laughs> Were you down under recently? Visiting the koalas? <laughs> Fuzzy koalas. <laughs> Thunder clap. <Ugh. laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, so 